Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. America has become a foodie nation with a constant stream of information and debate about diets and nutrition, the latest studies, opinions, and prescriptions about what we should be eating or not. In today's episode, nutritionist and dietitian Alexandra Cerrone takes a holistic, commonsensical, and refreshingly non-judgmental approach to not only what we should eat and how we should eat every day, what, we sh- what she calls mindful or intuitive eating. Of course, healthy eating does involve food choices, and Alexander will talk about some of the basics of an anti-inflammatory diet, the research behind the benefits of foods like complex carbs, fats, various protein sources, and dairy products. But she'll also talk about the psychological underpinnings of nutrition, how the foods we eat impact the way we feel, and the importance of thoroughly appreciating our meals, eliminating distractions, and engaging all of our senses. Allie will offer practical tips on creating good food habits from portion control to managing snack cravings and safe food shopping, whether you're buying organic or searching for good quality vitamins and supplements. So now let's meet our guest, Alexander Sarone. Allie, welcome to the show. Hi, Ron. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Yes. So, um, so Allie, you know, I've listened to you before, and uh, I thought I, I really enjoyed your presentation. And one of the things I found interesting was your path toward uh, becoming a nutritionist, which you had an interest for a long time, but actually you began a, in a different kind of career. Tell us about that. Actually, that's true. My path is very non-traditional, mm-hmm. but my interest in nutrition has been a long time coming, and it just took a different course for me to allow it to come out. So I actually started out in school for speech pathology. Mm. And as a child, I was always interested in science. So that was a field that I found to be very interesting. But in the back of my mind, I always had this innate curiosity in nutrition. And this dates back for a long time. Growing up, food was a very and still is a very important part of my culture. It's the way that my family expressed love. Mm. And I have many memories sitting around the table with my family, enjoying good food, laughing. If you know a bit about Italian (laughs) gatherings, you know that they're very loud. They're throwing things. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's a big social event. And that was just a big part of who I am growing up as a child and being surrounded by so many amazing cooks in my family, my mm. mom, my, my grandmothers and the like. I've always had that passion for food. And then as I got older, I started to take an interest in nutrition. So even though I, I chose one field, I still had nutrition on my mind as I got older. And that is why I eventually switched careers. So I'm very fortunate. The educational system has been very good to me. I've received a lot of education, but now in nutrition, I just feel like this is my niche and I'm so happy to be here. I, I 
absolutely love this field and yeah. I love what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've just found too, that every, every path you take informs the next path, you know, so I'm sure you learned a lot from early on in, in speech pathology, you know, that each discipline kind of informs and, and educates the next in some ways. So I'm sure you took kind of that research mentality and kind of worked that into your approach toward nutrition. Absolutely. I feel so fortunate because in my master's program, that was where I learned how to do research, so to speak. I did a master's thesis and received an opportunity to present some research. And it instilled me with a sense of curiosity, asking a lot of questions, why things are the way that they are, or how to actually conduct research is quite challenging. And I fell in love with it. So that has stayed with me even today. Although I work in a clinical field, I always have that curiosity and to dig deeper and to see why things are the way that they are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important because something like, especially nutrition, everyone has opinions, you know, and you see all these advertisements and constantly bombarded information. And what always comes up in my mind is like, where's the evidence? <laughs> where's the discipline right. to study this? And, and, and uh, so I'm, I'm glad there are people like you who are really serious about also, it, you know, uh, joining passion with uh, the discipline of research. So, so why don't we just uh, now move into a little bit more about just your philosophy and sort of, you have a very holistic approach. Tell me sort of broadly the big picture of how you approach nutrition. Sure. <clears throat> well, I have an approach that I call compassionate fortitude. Oh, <laughs> so I what like I that. mean, what I mean by that is, and actually I think this applies to many areas in life. We should always approach situations compassionately and nurture ourselves because let's face it life is difficult we're faced with a lot of challenges a lot of stresses and i think what we should first do is make it a little bit easy on ourselves to say have a little bit of compassion sometimes we're going to experience challenges and the way that we need to approach it is more from a nurturing standpoint to help us get through it so then once we have the compassion piece then the fortitude piece is a little bit of a contrast but it's more of a disciplined approach to say, okay, how can we make positive changes? How can we develop resilience and fortitude in order to create new habits? Because when it comes to nutrition, nutrition is in a sense a habit. And that's why I'm very drawn to the psychological underpinnings of nutrition. I call it the great underbelly. <laughs> I don't know why. I just have this idea, maybe it's like a big tuna, you know, like mm -hmm. an underbelly. Mm -hmm. That's just what comes to mind for nutrition right. and psychology. But I, and by that, I mean, this whole iceberg, kind of like the id, the ego, the super ego of what lies underneath nutrition. Mm -hmm. And I find that in nutrition, a lot of that is driven by psychological behaviors. You know, what causes us to eat, willpower, emotional control, self-regulation, appetite. There's just so much beneath the surface. And I would like to see nutrition head in that direction mm -hmm. more than focusing on specific nutrients, but right. how we yeah. respond. Yeah. Well, let's, let's expand that a little bit. So, yeah. You, so you talk a lot about the mind-body connection, you know, the, how food impacts the way we feel and vice versa. So tell me a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So <laughs> I happen to see that nutrition causes a lot of suffering for people or just the act of eating in general. And that's what I want to alleviate. I really 
like us to reduce human suffering just from mm-hmm. eating because nutrition is our, our roots. And for me or for any anyone else, I would imagine it's linked to a lot of positive emotions. It, it's linked to gratitude, community, pleasure. And I just think we need to form a more positive relationship with food and to use that in a symbiotic relationship with our bodies. So very often we, we see a sense of deprivation when it comes to nutrition. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've, I've also experienced myself. But I will say, Tom York said it very well in his song, The Eraser. <laughs> okay. And he said, the more that you try to erase me, the more that I will appear. Mm-hmm. Which he was clearly talking about a cookie when he wrote that song. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, but the idea is that the more that, that you may, might try to deprive yourself, the more salient it becomes. Right. So that's why I'm not a proponent of extreme diets. Mm-hmm. Because I feel that eventually we're just going to crave that more. But instead, maybe we should focus on forming a more positive relationship with what we're eating, but also developing that resilient or honing in that, that willpower muscle to help us make those changes. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the things we've talked about before, uh, which I think I'd like to expand on now as well, is just, you know, also these habits in context. So your holistic approach of really recognizing that um, nutrition is part of a, a whole, um, you know, bundle of habits, you know, from sleep, exercise, mental health, and so forth. So let's talk a little bit about that as well. Absolutely. Nutrition is one piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. We have nutrition, we have our, our bodily function, movement, sleep, hydration, stress. There's so many components and they're all inextricably linked to each other. So that's why a, a narrow-minded approach of just focusing on nutrition is a bit myopic. So we need to expand our view and focus on a top-down approach. Right, right. Yeah, I think that, um, well, certainly that, that, you know, if you get involved with exercise um, programs, you know, one of the things that the trainers will tell you is, that, look, um, depending what, what your goals are, you want to lose some weight, you want to get, you know, tone, get better tone and so forth. Some of that is inextricably linked to nutrition. And if you don't change some of those habits, um, exercise alone won't do it. So I think that there, um, there, it is important to think about this in the context of other things. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that I've noticed, uh, you know, in, in I, I'm a uh, community educator for the Alzheimer's Association. And uh, so I've been working with them. I give a, a webinar on um, healthy living for your brain and body. And um, so one of the things you realize is that, um, uh, you know, one of the things to protect against dementia later on is, is linked to healthy habits that you uh, develop earlier on all the way through. And the components they look at are diet and nutrition, but also, you know, cognitive stimulation, social engagement, um, and exercise. So I think this, you know, this holistic approach is important. And I think that, you know, by focusing just on diet, it's like, well, okay, that's, yes, that's an important component, but in the context of other habits. Absolutely. And that's wonderful, by the way. I think that that's a great thing. And you're absolutely right. There's so many components beyond just nutrition that we need to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's now expand a little bit more about uh, your notion of sort of mindful or intuitive eating. 
Um, so again, the, the, not only what we eat, but how we eat and th these psychological underpinnings. Um, so, um, so some of the things that we, you and I have talked about in the past are just the idea of, um, um, you know, just paying attention to how we eat, you know, um, you know, just focusing on eating itself and, and not just as a, uh, as a kind of hurried process we do around whatever else we're doing. Yes. So the concept of intuitive eating is something that I learned about from the book called Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Triboli and okay. Elise Resch. Okay. And it's, it's very groundbreaking, but it's also extremely challenging. So when we talk about intuitive eating, it's not something that can happen overnight. For, for me personally, it was something that took a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. And essentially what intuitive eating means is being mindful when you're eating. Just like the concept of mindfulness proclaims, we want to live our lives more mindfully and tune in. It's all about awareness. Mm -hmm. So the reason why intuitive eating, I believe, can be applied to everybody is because we can all tune in to listen to how food is making us feel. But in order to do that, we have to tune out distraction. Mm -hmm. So it's almost a very Zen Buddhist way of nutrition. But the more that you work this muscle, the better you, you become. And for me, it's helped me to learn what foods work well for my body and what foods give me energy and what foods can drag me down a little bit. And that's why I think for the average person who is embarking on, on a healthy weight journey, it can help to help us gravitate towards healthier food options naturally, mm -hmm. because we'll realize that the processed foods don't give us a lot of energy. Yeah, I, I think it's something that takes some work, though. You know, as you mentioned, Nick, you, you, you are going to be changing habits. And um, um, this is uh, this has been a bit of a challenge for me, I have to say. Um, and I'm sure for a lot of people where, you know, we are driven to maximize our time. Um, and in a similar way that I think that we've... Um, you know, we've, we've tried to, uh, especially when we're younger, say, well, we don't need as much sleep. You know, sleep's a waste of time. I, I could be working, I could get things done. You know, I only need this amount of sleep. And it's like, not really true. You really need everyone, no matter what age, really needs seven to eight hours of sleep in general. There are yes. exceptions, but in general. And in the same way, um, I think that by focusing on eating, as you mentioned earlier, just a few minutes ago, um, you get a better sense of how food is affecting your body. If you're doing eating, if you're trying to multitask eating, as I confess, I do sometimes, um, you're not paying attention. <laughs> you're just eating and, you know, you're not even really focusing on the food and, and it's like, oh, it's okay. So it's all right. It's not too hot or cold, whatever, but, but you're not really focused on this. And I think that's, that's a problem, you know? Yes, I agree. And it, I think it causes a lot of stress. But granted, we can both agree, we, we both do it and it's challenging, but like, like we were saying, it's a habit that we try to cultivate. It's something that I'm trying to do. Sometimes it's, it's difficult. Let's say if I'm at work and I'm trying to eat without looking at my phone, have you ever had a situation where you zone out and you, you kind of 
zone out on somebody unintentionally and you stare at somebody. <laughs> that happens to me sometimes where I'm like, you know, accidentally lock eyes with somebody. I'm like, oh, don't worry. I'm just practicing mindful eating. <laughs> don't mind me. I'm really not staring at you. <laughs> right, right. But it's hard because we're so used to looking at our phones or engaging in another distracting activity. But what happens is that when we bring the focus back to the food, then we can listen to our satiety cues and we can also enjoy the eating experience a little bit more because we're paying attention to each component of the food. So it actually makes it more enjoyable, but yes, it is very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I find it, um, especially breaking the habit of if I'm working intensely at my desk, uh, even now at home, you know, not even at work, but I think in work it was also true. Like you were, People are kind of looking at you or how hard are you working? And those who are the hardest workers that they eat at their desk. Really not right. a good idea. <laughs> you really right. need to take that break, break away from your desk. Um, and I find myself doing that now at home. Just, you know, I, I there's this compulsion like, okay, let me just bring it. I'm like, you know what? No, let me, let me just eat the food here at the table and I'll be back at my desk before too long. <laughs> That's, That's where I'll be most of the time. And so just taking that time to, but, but it takes some, a conscious breaking of, of, of a habit and, and breaking of that psychological feeling like, well, I got to get things, things done. And that, uh, you know, uh, I'll be, you know, again, the multitasking, as I think with other kinds of multitasking has been shown that you're not, you're really not multitasking. You're basically focusing on one thing at a time. So, why not focus on eating and just really do that? So, yes. Um, yes. So we're going to talk a little bit more about this after the break, uh, but we're going to take a few minutes off now. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, folks, we'll be talking, talking much more with registered nutritionist and dietitian Ali Cerrone. So don't go anywhere. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you fully connected? We're all online in more ways than we can imagine. Our business, our family, our health, and our money are all part of the cyber-connected world, and it's getting more frightening every day. On My Connected Life, host Tyler Cohen-Wood takes you into the exciting world of cyber and shows you what you need to know right now to keep your cyber-connected life safe and your data within your control. Get all the information, the news you need to know, and a lot of fun and surprises. Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with nutritionist Ali Zerone. Uh, before we continue, I want to let you know you can find out more about Ali on my Roel Resources site, uh, roelresources.com. Uh, just click on the 45 Forward tab, and uh, we have, there'll be some more information about um, Allie there, as well as if you want to contact her, there, her social media contacts are there as well. So you can, it's probably the best way to reach her if you have further questions or just want to reach out to her. Um, so before the break, we were talking about you know the issue of multitasking, eating and something else, which deprives you of the you know, the ability to really focus on your food and really enjoy it more. And um, certainly uh, I've tried to break that habit myself at my desk. One of the other habits is a little bit more difficult, but I think I've got it a little bit better under control, which is sort of eating in front of the TV, <laughs> which, um, you know, is, it is uh, it, you know, as, as we started the show, eating is sort of a social habit. So I eat with my wife and we watch something, but I have to say that um, I am, I have uh, paid attention to your, um, your suggestion that we really focus on it. So I, I do think that even when I do that now, I'm focused more on, um, you know, as I eat, just focusing more on chewing more thoroughly, taking my time, not rushing through it. So I think there are ways that I can really accommodate it and still, still, you know, keep the socialization, but, but focus more on the eating. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for paying attention to paying attention. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to do, <laughs> but yes, you're, you're absolutely right. And it is enjoyable sometimes to eat in front of the TV. I do it time to time as well. I do think for the average person who is just starting out with intuitive eating to getting to know their body, that's why I recommend minimizing distraction. And also, if you're new to this, just start out by taking five minutes out of your meal and practice it a little bit. And also extend it into the rest of your day if you can. If you're driving, pay attention to how your body feels and, and listen to any areas of, of tension. I think that's also a critical component as well is, is getting to know our bodies. So that's why any type of movement or stretching is integral. But when it comes back to eating, yes, you, you said it perfectly, chewing our food slowly, thoroughly, really trying to enjoy the experience, taking our time, which allows us to feel full and listen to that. So it's definitely, it's, it's a process. Yeah, I think especially for me, um, slowing down and stopping um, is important because especially if you're enjoying the food, it's like, oh, I want more of that, you know? And then, but if you stop and just pause, you realize, uh, actually I'm full. <laughs> exactly. You know? yeah. And I have exposed myself to many, many, um, an overindulgence, let's say. <laughs> There've been many times where I push past my limits. I, my, my eyes are bigger than my stomach and mm -hmm. I eat a lot more. And I think also that there's, it's not a bad thing for us to do that sometimes because it's a learning experience. Each time I do it, I say, well, I feel kind of yucky 
my pants are fitting kind of tight <laughs> and I just, I don't feel great. I feel bloated. I feel tired. So now moving forward, I say, okay, I'm going to prevent that from happening again. And that's what I think we can all learn from experiences, even if it's not sitting down and, and having too much all you can eat shrimp. But even if it's a situation where you say, oh, maybe I ate a little, maybe I ate this particular food and afterwards I didn't feel good. Um, I think that's something that, that we can really benefit from. And then that's why this concept of intuitive eating helps us to naturally gravitate towards healthier foods, because we're really listening to see what gives us energy. And then we're naturally gravitating towards healthier foods because those give us energy. Right. And I, and I think there is this um, movement. I mean, there's a notion called, you know, patient-centered health, but bas basically it's, it, it sort of takes a, that notion uh, sort of looking at your personal health that it's, it is unique to you. So there are certain things may be more appropriate for you than others, you know, and, and some, and, and you can't get it. There's a, there's not a general prescription for it. There's a unique prescription and you have to sort of, but you need to discover it yourself, you know? So um yeah. So, um, so let's just take a little shift now. Let's talk a little bit more about, you know, the sort of traditional diet stuff um, about, you know, the, the kinds of diets and, and just, just some basics, Ali, about uh, what you describe as often, you know, the food pyramid of, you know, what, what sort of basic foods should be looking at in, in proportion to, them, to each other. Sure, Ron. So, this all concept of intuitive eating is great, but I think for a lot of people, they say, okay, wonderful. I need to pay attention to how I'm eating, but what should I eat if I'm getting started? Right. So my ideal framework for a healthy diet is called the anti-inflammatory lifestyle, I'll say. Okay. And for anyone starting out, I just think it's, it's a great way. It it's, it's a, it's an approach that incorporates a lot of different things like herbs and spices or teas, which have some very good health benefits. And the idea of the anti-inflammatory lifestyle comes from the notion that we want to minimize the chronic inflammation that's occurring in our bodies. And sometimes what happens is that our diets can cause chronic inflammation without us knowing it. Things like processed foods, things like environmental toxins can accumulate. So we want to reduce the stress in our body and, and minimize inflammation. So if we're looking at the core tenets of a healthy diet as per the anti-inflammatory lifestyle, then yes, we're, we're looking at whole grains, which are a great source of fiber, fruits and vegetables, which contain antioxidants, and those naturally help to combat inflammation. We have protein, we have healthy fats. And then at the apex, there's also a little room for indulgences. Like I said, we don't want to totally deprive ourselves, but we want the majority of our diet to focus on these wholesome, unprocessed foods. Right. So what would, give us a little bit, just a, uh, some of the basic science about inflammation. That's something we hear a lot, but what, what causes the inflammation? It seems, sometimes it seems like, well, everything causes an inflammation. So what are the causes and, and how do we, are there way, simple ways to kind of minimize that? When we talk about inflammation, there are two types of inflammation. There's acute inflammation, which can happen, let's say if we get a cut, then that's the body's natural response. Or if we experience swelling, it's the body is really doing its job to try to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. But the inflammation that is a little insidious, let's say, is chronic inflammation. And that is something that is occurring 
often and putting our bodies in a state of stress, but we want to save the inflammation for when our bodies really need it because inflammation is a good thing, but it's really our body using its resources to, to, for a reason that is not needed. Um, so the things that would cause inflammation would be, like I said, sometimes improper diet, a lack of sleep, stress causes inflammation and many other environmental factors. But the good news is that nutrition can help to combat inflammation as well okay. as other positive lifestyle factors. I see. So that's the anti-inflammatory components are things that, that counter the inflammation in your body. Exactly. Right, right, right. And what about the, uh, another um, term that's used a lot is just talking about antioxidants. You know, what are we talking about? The antioxidant quality of certain foods, especially, you know, of fruits and, and berries and so forth. Um, talk about that a bit. Sure. In very simple terms, it combats oxidation, which in, in excess would lead to inflammation. So the reason why antioxidants are so good for us is because they're very potent compounds that are beneficial to our cells. And I think we can even see that based on the foods that we eat. When we see these vibrant colors in, in berries or oranges, it, it's so visually appealing. And, and, the, and the, these pigments in these foods actually are, are so beneficial to our bodies. So that's why we like to use the term eat the rainbow a lot. Right. But it is true. You're, you're giving a your body a variety of a broad spectrum antioxidants and especially in fruits and vegetables there's many different types just based on the color and cauliflower and berries even in coffee things like that um so that's why we really like to condone eating fruits and vegetables not not just because our mother told us to finish our peas on our plate but because they are very beneficial and it works very well in in the context of a healthful diet right Right. Um, now, people often talk about, you know, the whole issue of fats, different kinds of fats, you know, trans fats. Um, um, let's, let's talk a bit about that, too, because I, I remember as a kid, you know, you know, the, the old <laughs> notion was uh, you just thought about fat as well. That there's fat on the side of, you know, the meat and you cut the fat off. But that's not what we're talking about. Right. That's we're, we're talking about something. And that's much more, um, you know, uh, co complicated than that. Yes. Fat has been scrutinized for a long time. It's fat, fascinating for me. I had to uh, get that pun in there. You did. Yep. yep. <laughs> but I think we, we've gone through a lot of different opinions on, on fat from the early nineties, where we had their low fat diets. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, we had high fat diets like Atkins, South beach. But the reason why I'm, I'm so intrigued by fat is because the research I've noticed has been shifting and we're coming to see that maybe saturated fat is not as bad quote unquote, as we once thought, maybe it's in fact neutral. But I think the big takeaway here is the role of fat really depends on the context of the diet. So instead of looking at, let's say, saturated fat in isolation, maybe the context matters. And just recently, I came up across this research study investigating the effects of a diet high in saturated fat and sugar on hippocampal volume. Mm. And so they found that the combination of saturated fat and sugar 
reduce the hippocampal volume. So that's why I think saturated fat in isolation might not be the issue. Maybe it's the context, which would, would make sense, which is, is pretty typical of the standard Western diet. It's high in fat and it's high in sugar. Oh. But for me personally, I feel that saturated fat can be beneficial in some instances. And again, I think this is very dependent on the person, but when we incorporate a little bit more fat in our diets, I think it leads to more satiation and more pleasure because it tastes mm. better. Mm. So I'll never forget the first time I, I had full fat yogurt after eating non-fat yogurt religiously for many years. And it, it was like a mind altering experience <laughs> for me because it just tastes so creamy. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I think this is how yogurt is supposed to taste. And maybe this fat is in there for a reason. Uh, me personally, I don't like eating a bowl of air, which I feel like non-fat yogurt is, but to each their own. But my, the point I'm trying to make is that I just think we have to learn balance and moderation. And a lot of times what happens with fat is they take the fat out and they add something else like sugar. And sugar is something that I think we need to keep under control. It has a lot of addictive potential, but the fat that we want to limit are the trans fats. Those are really the fats that are harmful to us. So those are found in processed foods. It's found in, in margarine or vegetable shortening. And that is, we're talking about inflammation, very pro-inflammatory. So if saturated fat is still in the middle, maybe the consensus is, is still out. We definitely know that monounsaturated fats are very good for us. So found in things like olives, nuts, olive oil, also omega-3s that could be not a monounsaturated fat, but a polyunsaturated fat, also very anti-inflammatory. So I hope that clears up the scoop on fat, but I would recommend there's a very good article by Harvard Medical School about fat. If anyone is interested, just to give a little brief overview, okay. but that's where I think we've come with fat in particular. Right, right. Yeah. And, and I think another uh, source is, am I right, uh, fruits and nuts, or is that an, uh, or that more protein-based? With, with nuts? Yeah, with in terms of providing um, kinds of fats, or is that not, not the case? Oh yeah. Yeah. You're right, Ron. Yeah. Nuts are a great source of fat. Absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that, um, uh, your point about moderation is important. You know, I do remember, you know, my dad, when <laughs> all through our childhood would always say everything in moderation. <laughs> <laughs> and it's I true. think that's true. Yeah. And I think that's true with food. And I think that, and, um, I think as you were talking about eating, uh, um, whole yogurt it was like um yeah and it's probably more satisfying and you don't need as much but once you have it you know it's like okay this this satiates and uh and that that will do it for me you know um and just appreciating that that's you could do that it's okay you know yes and you mentioned some good points in there that it's okay we can allow ourselves to experiment a little bit find what feels good but hundred percent. We're looking for satiation because satiation will help us and make it easier for us to, to work on that willpower muscle when we're making new habits. So we, we, we want to be satisfied at the end of the meal. We don't want to be looking for something else. So right. that's why I feel that at least a little bit of fat is beneficial and find what works well for you. You don't necessarily have to have full fat yogurt like me, but maybe just try experimenting with a little bit more fat in your diet and see how you feel. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's a, a very interesting point because I, I do, I, I have found myself at the end of some meals, you know, finishing going like, okay, I want, I just feel like I need something else, you know? And it's just like, if you could stop that with a little bit of satiation, I think that's an important step. Um, so I like that. Um, uh, and then the other thing that is similar, I think, uh, is the notion of, um, of we talk about, obviously, in the, in when I was growing up, you didn't have butter, you had margarine. And of course, now we realize that's, that's not good. So uh, talk, talk a bit about butter, which is uh, one of my favorite things. <laughs> oh, good. Me too. I love talking about this. Yes. So butter is actually a real unprocessed food. It's just made from, it's a natural dairy product, whereas margarine is a man-made product, which right. actually contains those trans fats that we don't like so much. Right. So it's not to say that we should be eating butter in excess, but we can definitely discern the better of the two at this point. Butter is better. Okay. Butter isn't that better. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had to, we had to work in another pun with their food has lots of puns, as you pointed out, we should, we should, enjoy and savor them. <laughs> we, should. we should, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> right, right. So, so listen, uh, we, we have a lot more to talk about, but we're going to take another short break, Ali. Um, so folks, uh, when we come back, we'll be talking much more uh, with Ali Cerrone, registered nutritionist and dietitian. Uh, don't go anywhere. We have a great last segment coming up. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Rowell or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.rowell at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with registered nutritionist and dietitian Ali Cerrone. Uh, before the break, we were talking about butter and uh, some of the, uh, the joys of butter. And uh, uh, speaking of this sort of uh, area, um, let's talk a bit about cholesterol, because this is something that seems to go back and forth. And, you know, the, these things like eating eggs and egg yolks and so forth. Talk about sort of the latest on cholesterol and, and things like dairy products. Yes, great question. I think cholesterol is an area that is evolving as well. Mm-hmm. When it comes to cholesterol, we have, I think everybody knows the two types of cholesterol. We have mm-hmm. our good cholesterol, the HDL, and then the quote unquote bad cholesterol, the LDL. And we would like the HDL number to be a little bit higher. Now, when it comes to LDL, The latest research that I'm finding is that we need to look at the particle size of the LDL rather than the actual number, which I think this is just a new avenue of research. So for instance, maybe we're beginning to find that small dense LDL particles are a little bit more harmful than large buoyant particles. So I think that that's another avenue of cholesterol research that we're still beginning to find. And I believe that the foods that we eat impact or could potentially impact particle size. But coming back to your question about egg yolks, even though egg yolks do contain cholesterol, it doesn't necessarily impact dietary cholesterol. Um, And in fact, egg egg yolks contain a a lot of nutrients. It contains healthy fats, it contains protein. So we have found now at this point that egg yolks are more beneficial than not. that's why it's, it's difficult. It's difficult for, I think, the, the general public to get the scoop on, on what is in, so to speak, and what is out. So things like egg yolks or fat or carbs. But cholesterol is something that I, I think is, is evolving in its relationship to heart disease. Um, so I think we still need a lot more research to figure out what the link is. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, especially, you know, you know, well, it seemed to be very trendy, you know, health-wise to have, you know, egg white omelets, you know, and I would always feel like, yeah, but that to me was sort of like, I would do it sometimes, but then you would do it in a way that compensates. So you'd have to have other stuff in it so that it it tastes better than, (laughs) than than it does ordinarily. It's it's, it's what you mentioned, like, you know, the, the non-fat yogurt, it's just like, well, I could do this, but, you know, it would taste better with the egg yolks. It just, it seems more holistic. And, um, you know, I don't eat as, as I don't eat a lot of them, but I think that having them on occasion, it's like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> I'm just going to have that, that whole egg in it. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. But if we're thinking about cholesterol, again, we come back to the same, the same idea, a diet high in refined carbohydrates and high in fats, that combination is really what alters our cholesterol. I don't think anyone would say, oh, it must've been the three eggs, the eggs I ate in my omelet. That's why I have high cholesterol. It's, it's, again, it's about context. Right. Right. So what are the, the, the bad foods for cholesterol? You know, are are they processed foods again? 
before they yeah it, it it would be it would be definitely a diet that's high in sugar okay um and also a, a diet that is high in the processed foods so for instance the fats that we that we want to keep to a minimum the trans fats um you know it's, it's real or a diet that is also low in healthy foods like low in fruits and vegetables which can can give us better cholesterol so that's why it's definitely, it's a combination. And I think lifestyle plays a part in it as well. We know that exercise can improve our cholesterol and is good for our cardiovascular function. Right, right. Yeah. So let's, for our last segment here, let's shift a little bit to um, buying the foods. What should we look for when we go, uh, I guess we call it safe shopping for foods. You know, what, what are the things to think about, watch out for? When we're looking at foods, preferably we would like a small ingredient list. Okay. So let's say if we're interested in buying a packaged food, like maybe a nutrition bar, a lot of the bars out there might contain a lot of ingredients, like a lot of different sugars. Sometimes they disguise themselves as brown rice syrup, or they might just have a lot of other ingredients that are, are not so good for us. And we want to keep to a minimum, a lot of preservatives. Um, or even worse, hydrogenated oils, that's something that we'd want to avoid if possible. So when it comes to a, a safe shopping list, of course, you can never go wrong with just unprocessed fruits and vegetables, regular meat, chicken, poultry. But if you're looking for a good packaged item, I would just say try to find one that, that it is minimal in ingredients. We don't want a lot of sugar. So I would say no more than 10 grams per serving, if possible. Mm -hmm. And you also want a little bit of fiber and a little bit of protein as well. Of course, it depends on what you're looking for, but small ingredient list is always best. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've noticed is um, uh, in, in a lot of um, foods, um, <clears throat> you know, it, it's sort of astonishing how much their salt and, you know, sodium and sugar is. Those to, to me seem to be the sort of the hidden um, things to watch out for. <clears throat> I suppose it sometimes it, uh, you know, I mean, a dash of salt, you know, we're, we, we become used to that kind of taste. Um, so, um, uh, but it's, it, it's a lot, you know, it's in a lot of foods, you know, that you buy and, and uh, something to really watch out for. Um, and then, um, you know, also just looking at, you know, what, what makes a difference in terms of buying organic, you know, um, you know, I, I, yes, I certainly, you know, pay attention to, you know, grass fed beef, you know, things like that. What are things that you look for, out for when you buy organic? <clears throat> I agree with you. I, I try to buy organic when, when it's feasible. Mm -hmm. And of course that comes with a financial investment, mm -hmm. but I feel that I would rather spend my money on buying food that contains fewer environmental toxins potentially rather than not. But that is also my personal choice. I always encourage people to uh, at least purchase organic foods from the dirty dozen, the environmental working group list. Mm -hmm. So those are foods that contain a high pesticide residue, foods like berries that have a permeable membrane where the pesticide can infiltrate the fruit itself or strawberries, apples. I personally think it would be beneficial to buy those organic if you can, but if someone can't do that, then 
you should at least have fruits and vegetables because it's better than not. But I, I'm right there with you, Ron. I like to buy grass-fed beef if possible, pasture-raised chicken, eggs, but it's challenging sometimes. Right, right. So if people want to know what the dirty dozen are, I guess you could probably just Google it, right? It'll pop up what they are. You can, you can Google it. And it does change every year. Oh, it does. Oh. Something to keep in mind. Yep. Yeah. It depends on the year. Depending on, on the, the number of people, of farmers using pesticides, is that what it depends on or what is it? You know, that's a good question. I'm not exactly sure how it changes, but it could be based on the testing. Maybe certain fruits and vegetables fluctuate in, in the pesticide levels. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah. I do know that it changes. So it's good to be on top of. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah, one of the things that I, I had not realized um, I, in a previous show, though, that I did with a uh, uh, Parkinson's expert, you know, he was talking also about the, um, you know, the, the association. It's not clear what the causality link is, but of pesticides uh, on the, the food we eat and Parkinson's, you know, it, it tends to trigger certain, you know, it's not clear what the, what the exact mechanism is, but it it seems to trigger uh, or, or increase the risk of Parkinson's. So um, there are some other reasons just besides just the, you know, the nutrition factor, I think that's important to recognize. Um, um, what about, um, Ali, what, what about uh, looking at vitamins and supplements? Yes, vitamins and supplements are a very interesting field. <laughs> When it, it comes to recommendations, of course, I always tell people to check with the doctor first, mm -hmm. just to get your levels checked. But a question that I encounter often is, should I take a, a multivitamin? Mm -hmm. And again, I think it really depends on the person. Optimally, we would get all our nutrients from fruits and vegetables. But in some, in some people, there is a concern that food does not contain as much nutrients as it did years ago because of soil depletion, things of that nature. So I think it depends on your comfort level. If it would make you feel better to take a, a multivitamin, it could be a good choice. When it comes to supplements in general, there, there is an area of concern because they're not regulated by the FDA. So what you can do in that case is seek third-party testing. So for example, USP, Sometimes you'll find that seal in a supplement and you can tell that, that you are getting what is actually in that supplement. Also, Consumer Labs is a great website as well to look for good quality supplements and find reviews. So definitely, whether it's a multivitamin or omega-3 supplement, whatever it is, you're going to want to do some research on it. You want to find if it is compatible with your body. And you're also going to want to do some testing to make sure that you're, you're receiving what is in fact in that supplement. How do you do that testing? Is that with your regular doctor or with or nutritionist or dietitian? How do you how do you find out if um, if your body would benefit from different supplements? If it's a supplement like vitamin D that you can get lab testing for, okay. but it is true if we're talking about an herbal supplement, we really don't know unless we try. But I would still speak with a medical professional to look for any contraindications. Right. Right. So would your doctor be able to tell by, by doing blood tests in terms of what things you might need? I mean, for example, maybe you're iron deficient or things like that. Yes. Yes, definitely. That's why I think it's a good route to go in. 
or if somebody doesn't know how much vitamin D to take, an easy way is to find out, get your levels checked. Right, right. Do do most doctors now work with nutritionists uh, or, or dietitians, or I guess it, it might vary a lot, you know, in terms of, um, but it seems to be a useful, you know, partnership. Yes. And when it comes to a, a private medical office, I think it's becoming more common. Um, where, where I work, we, we have a good relationship with doctors. So I think you, I, I agree with you. It, it's wonderful to have these interdisciplinary connections. So I, I hope that becomes more common to see dietitians and doctors working closely with one another. Yeah. And it seems to me, um, since my program is 45 forward, that this becomes, I don't know about more important, but certainly it should be closely watched as you get older because, um, you know, you tend to, well, your immune system, you know, is not as, as potent as when you're younger. And it seems to me that you really need to pay more attention to it. True. But I, I think as you get older, maybe you have more exposure to, to bacteria that younger people don't have. So maybe your immune system is more seasoned than someone who is younger, but you're, you're absolutely right. As we get older, our immune function changes. So we definitely want to be on top of our health which makes it all the more important to prioritize nutrition, especially coming hopefully out of the COVID pandemic. We really need to stress how important nutrition is in, in right. fighting disease. Right, right. Well, the hour has gone quickly as usual. So I would just want yes. to say that I really appreciate you coming on the show, Ali, and uh, thank you for a, a terrific informative conversation. Um, so if people have questions or comments, uh, as I mentioned earlier, probably the best way to reach you is through your social media um, connections. And they're listed on my website, royalresources.com. Click on the 45 forward tab and you could find her links. Um, and once again, folks, uh, if you missed my conversation with Allie today, you can listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com to search my show 45 forward. Uh, you could also um, listen to it on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Art Radio. And again, I'll go to my website, robotresources.com, and you can listen to it there. So um, <clears throat> that's, that's it for today's show. But be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern time, when I'll be talking with Carly Roman. She's a gerontologist and innovation manager at the Motion Picture and Television Fund in Los Angeles. So until then, folks. Keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.